Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our student ministries pastor, Dave Cox, continues our series entitled The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today, Pastor Dave will lead us in a study of Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, with a message titled, Jesus and Judging. Good morning, everybody. I hope you guys are doing great today. Um, I have just got back from uh, being uh, out of the country. I was in Uganda with the high school team. It was a great, great trip. I have got to give you a quick snapshot. It was my first time there. I knew we had been supporting it. I'd heard stories of what Rocky Peak is doing to help in Africa. And I can just tell you, firsthand experience, it is unbelievable uh, what is going on over there. It's unbelievable. I had a chance to speak at several of the churches that are out there. One of the churches that I spoke at, there were more kids than adults at that church. In fact, there's over close to 600, and most of them are orphans. Uh, Rocky Peak is the church that supports most of the kids. Many of you sponsor kids out there. I got to meet a lot of them. Um, we support over 150 of the kids that, that are there. And it, let me just tell you that the area that that church is in, it's, it was, it's absolutely um, one of the most forgotten, devastated areas of Africa, but the leadership there is ignited. It is, it is totally ignited. In fact, that little community that is considered, um, in a sense, the, even the major city, Kampala, it writes that city off. There's a graveyard, huge mass graves right outside. You know, we walked across the street to where they just bury mass graves of people there. It's because it's kind of a forgotten place. And that's right where this church is, where all those kids are at. In fact, there was over uh, 60 witch doctors in the area that were completely against that church. Um, And just seeing what God has been doing, God has given them favor in that community. Now, even the, the criminals, the thugs in that community protect that church. The local officials protect that church. That people from that church, with their hands, there was going to be a cholera outbreak, and the government wasn't going to come in and clean up three miles of this ravine. So that church just hand-dug it out, three miles of it, uh, and they've made a massive impact in that city. People are coming to know the Lord there, um, and we're having a major part there. I went and saw another village that we, um, we support. In fact, we built the first orphanage home. There's a, a couple that will live in these homes. Fifteen kids will live in there. Um, Rocky Peak built the first home. And you should see, they're getting great instruction. Uh, these kids know the Lord, and they're getting, they've got amazing leadership. Uh, and the other one, you know, we just started the, the Bible Institute. Rocky Peak is the church that really got behind it. We want to really get behind leadership in Africa. That's one of the greatest needs. They need to have Bible training. They've got churches that are getting planted and getting out there, and the leaders are, let me just tell you, leaders just line up. They have question after question. They're just hungry, hungry. Um, they're passionate, but they really want to grow. They, I, I got to speak in the university. They have 60 students studying there right now. And let me tell you, they're good. In fact, one of the students, they, they're asking, we did this Q&A, and he had this question. And uh, I, I was responding to the question, and I give the, kind of the idea of the interpretation of the passage. Well, he comes up with a, an alternative interpretation that's really good. I was like, man, I hadn't even heard that. Like, okay, yeah, you guys are getting great training here. They've got amazing instructors. In fact, they're getting satellite campuses that they can go and um, have someone go and do remote training to train up to 50 pastors at a time. And let me tell you, that would not happen unless Rocky Peak was behind that. So it's just, let me just say, it's really exciting to see God's doing a big, big work out there. And uh, it's just neat, great to know that we are behind solid leadership out there. And let me just say, when you say the word Rocky Peak out there, I mean, literally they tear up. They just tear up. It's uh, the way that 
rocky peak, and you guys have been behind him. Uh, it, it's, so I'm expressing thanks <laughs> for them. It's really neat. Okay, rewind. I'm probably getting a little emotional. I'm totally jet-lagged right now. It's like it's evening for me right now, and I'm getting over a cold, so you might want to take notes. I'm not even sure what I'll say today, so let's get ready to roll here. Um, I'm going to start with a question today. Here's a question. Um, Have you ever been to a restaurant uh, or some kind of business, but it was so bad, you're like, I will never go back there again. You ever had that happen? Uh, I remember I was in college. We had ordered pizza. We had to go pick the pizza up. And uh, we get to the restaurant or this pizza place, and we're there, and I, the phone rings, and the shift manager answers the phone. I don't even know what the question, well, I, I have an idea. It's pretty obvious what question was asked, but I heard his response. We already got a sign that this is probably not the best place to be at. But his response is, well, what kind of toppings do you think we have? I'm like, ooh, this is a bad pizza day for this guy. Like, <laughs> something is up in here. So we're waiting for our pizza, and they had one of those little games that, it's one of those memory games. You can test your memory as you're, you know, it, it beeps and blinks, whatever. You just gotta try and do the sequence. Well, um, so it was unplugged. So I plug it in. I put a quarter in, and it eats my quarter. I'm like, oh, that's irritating. I'm like, excuse me. I said, your machine just ate my quarter. He goes, well, why do you think it was unplugged? I'm like, uh, I don't know, because out here I thought someone may have kicked it loose. I didn't know. There wasn't a sign or anything. He goes, well, now you know, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I know. Uh, <laughs> Now, do you think I went back to that place? No. It's irritating. You know, because that one guy, now, everybody else that could have worked there could have been great. But now for me, it's like, uh-uh, I'm not returning to that place. Have you ever been to a restaurant like that? Uh, you say, uh-uh, I'm not going to go back there. It happens all the time. Have you ever had an encounter with a police officer that was negative? What are you laughing about? <laughs> you say, oh, you know, all police officers are bad. Uh, then you got to meet me, and you go, well, they're not all bad. They're handsome. I know, they're handsome. Uh, but we tend to do that. We generalize quickly. Uh, and in our minds, we can do it kind of at the snap of a finger. We can make a, a snap generalization. Um, and we cast this judgment out there real quick. On Friday, I did it in the airport. I was in London getting ready to catch a flight. And, man, the line was taking forever to check in, just forever. And I'm not sure what the employees at British Airways were doing, they're sitting there talking, a couple ladies were talking, exchanging lip gloss secrets. I don't know, but it was taking forever. Uh, and in my mind, I'm like, everybody at British Airways is slow. You know, they take forever here. And it took forever to check in. So already I could see in my mind, and I look behind me, and there's an old uh, woman that's right behind me, elderly, uh, Octavian, is that, you know, Sectavian? Maybe that's a better way to say it. Elderly woman right behind me. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting in line, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I should help her with her bags. You know, she's pulling this, and we're standing here forever. Well, it turns out we end up getting on the same flight. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I probably should have been helping this woman, older woman, standing here forever. Well, I'm sitting next to her. We get in this conversation on the plane, and it turns out, I'm thinking, well, she's, she's in better shape than I. You know what she just did? She just got back from Scotland, hiking all through Scotland. Go camping, hiking. I'm like, what? You did What? Yeah, because, well, you know, after I went and did it in the Himalayas, I got, you know, we got really excited about doing this. You Wait, you went where? You know, so in my mind, isn't it, we can make such a quick snap generalization and assume things real quickly. You know, so when we're getting off the plane, I looked at her, I'm like, would you mind helping me with my luggage? Like, Please? Uh, but we can do that. What do we call that? 
Well, we can stereotype quickly. Um, we can put people in a box and label it very, very quickly in our own mind. And, you know, when, when that hurts is when it happens to us, and it's in a, in a negative way. Running through Uganda, it's really funny. When you go through the streets, they see a white person. They call you white person. Uh, what is it again? Ma- Mzungu. It's Mzungu. Hey, Mzungu, Mzungu. And they get all excited. They run up to you, and it's funny, because they come up to you and say, Mzungu, hey, can I teach you to dance? Well, how do they know that I can't dance, you know? Uh, I've been on the receiving end, let me just say. I, you know when the receiving end hurts the most? It usually happens in the context of a family or people that you look up to, the people that you highly respect. And they will, they will label you quickly. Um, maybe it's not even quickly. And it could be something that's been done for years. And it could be things like, hey, you're a failure. You'll never measure up. You're never going to change. You know, it's probably safe to assume that there's a lot of people in this room who have tapes like that that play in your mind right now. It's really easy. Right when I say that, it's like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, I deal with that. Maybe you can even recall things that you've said where you've done that. Boom. You lash out. You can say it. You know, this is the very thing that can rip families apart. It's the very thing that can destroy business relationships. It's the thing that can divide churches. Boom, snap judgment. It's out there, and they're labeled. You know, this is it's a big thing. That's why I think today it's, it's, it's a great topic to be talking about. It's something that Jesus talked about. This, what we're talking about is uh, we're continuing the series today that Pastor Mike has been in on the Sermon on the Mount, the message of the movement. And today's topic is, is Jesus when he talked about judging. This is a very famous quote. All of you, I guarantee, can quote it. Jesus said, don't judge, lest you be judged. How many of you have heard that before? We hear it all the time. That's why this is somewhat a confusing passage, because people use it a lot of times for a lot of different things. People say, hey, don't judge me. Well, that could mean a lot of things. It means, hey, don't call me out. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Don't judge me. Jesus said that. You can't judge me. People will use this phrase, hey, don't judge me. Um, by telling me, by trying to force your belief on me, by telling me that what I'm believing is wrong, don't judge me. In fact, Jesus taught that. Sometimes you'll hear, hey, don't judge me, because and there's even a big push for people saying, hey, there really is no right and wrong. It was interesting as I was preparing for this message and studying, you know what I found? that It's, it's blowing my mind. It's like there's people, students today, high schools, universities, fewer and fewer students are willing to even acknowledge that Hitler was wrong and trying to commit genocide on the Jews. They're unwilling to do that. Well, because for him in his mind, it wasn't wrong. Well, we could say it's wrong, but for him in his mind, it wasn't wrong. What do we call that? That's called relativism. Truth is relative to the person. Well, isn't that crazy? And this, this verse will even be quoted to support that. In fact, Jesus says, don't judge. You'll be judged just like that. So I know coming into this topic today, it comes with a lot of baggage. And so hopefully today, I want to unpack this a little bit so we can have a clear understanding of what Jesus did not mean and what Jesus really did mean. And then how do we live this out more in our lives? So if you have your outline, you can pull it out. Um, And as you're pulling it out, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Let's take a look at the whole passage that Jesus said this in, and uh, we'll dig in. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 1, or verse 2, do not judge or you too will be judged. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If you're following along in your outline, number one, what Jesus is not saying, here it is, what he's not saying, don't ever judge. He's not saying, don't ever judge. Um, How do we know that? If you look at verse 5, and if you ever say, you know, if someone says, hey, you can't tell me what that verse means, you can't tell me what Jesus really said, well, how do you interpret Scripture? The best way to interpret Scripture is by reading it in context. What's that mean? Read what Jesus said before and after that, because Jesus will probably define what he's talking about. The Bible will interpret the Bible. So as you take a look at it, verse 5, he says, you hypocrite, underline this word first. It says, first, take the plank out of your own eye. Underline the next two words. And then you will see clearly to, underline the next word, remove the speck from your brother's eye. So whatever Jesus is referring to, there's obviously a place for us to go to another Christian and, and discuss something that obviously is, a, is wrong. There's, some, there's something going off in their life. There is a place to call each other out. This is called accountability because we all need it. We all need it. None of us are above that. So obviously, whatever Jesus is saying, he's not saying, well, don't ever make a judgment about um, necessarily specific actions or choices that people are making. In fact, he calls us to do that. So as you take a look at this, you know, Jesus even does this. And as you read down, if you were reading, like starting at verse 15 in chapter 7, and you read on, he's talking about the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And as you read about the Pharisees, he says, listen, and what's he tell us to do? He tells us to judge them by their actions. And the way he says this, he says, by their fruit, not apples and oranges, right? By their fruit, their actions, how they are living, you're going to know. He says, I want you to judge them. He said, and then he says, listen, a good tree is not going to produce bad fruit. Bad tree is not going to produce good fruit. So he says, listen, you've got to be wise and you need to judge that. If you look at the whole book of Matthew, Jesus does this many times with the Pharisees. In fact, there's one place, um, I believe it's chapter 23, and when he is talking to the Pharisees, he says, listen, and he calls them this again. He says, you hypocrites. He says, you're trying to clean the outside of the cup, but you're not dealing with the inside. Because what was going on, they had this culture where they were adding rule after rule after rule, over 600 of them. Um, And so they'd add these things, and they'd make that uh, a picture of what it means to really walk with God. But inside, they're far from God. So Jesus is calling them out because they're doing a false, it's really a false religion, a false way of connecting with God. And Jesus calls them out. So what, what should we actually judge? If Jesus is saying, well, there are times we should make judgments, what should we be making judgments on? I'll list a couple off. They aren't going to be on your screen, but if you want to put notes, I left a little spot in your outline for you. A couple things that we should be judging. You know, one of the things that the New Testament points out that we should be judging, it's really the actions and choices of other believers. Actions and choices of other believers. Um, 
Galatians 6.1, brother, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Another scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's someone in sexual sin in the church. The mandate to the church is, listen, you, you know this is openly taking place. There's ongoing, open, continuous sin, non-repentant, and you're not moving towards that? Well, now you as a church are responsible. So he says not only are we supposed to judge and make, take action on that. In fact, he, he says take action. He says you shouldn't even be associated. If, someone, if they're so unwilling to even receive or respond or even deal with that, he says don't even associate. So obviously there's places we have to make some judgments when there's open, blatant, obvious sin issues the Bible talks about. What else should we be making judgments on? Another one is what is right and what is wrong, truth and error. Jesus taught this. You know, a very famous verse of Jesus, John chapter 14, and Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus, what is Jesus saying? There's one way. There's one way. It's not through any other teacher. It's not through any other religion. He's making an exclusive claim. So Jesus drew the line. He says, you know, as believers, we got to draw a line as well. You have to understand. All paths don't lead to the same place. Ah, that's why we need Jesus. So even as believers, we're called to do that. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures, what? Inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. We're called to even know that, to stand on that. We can discern truth from error. That's why in Jude chapter 3, He makes a strong, firm stance, and he says, listen, believers contend earnestly for the faith. It's been once for all delivered to the saints. So yes, we can discern truth and error, and we are supposed to make judgments on that. So when Jesus is saying, hey, don't judge, he's not referring to that. Know what else you're supposed to judge? The teaching of pastors. Do you realize that? You're supposed to judge the teaching of pastors. means you should be checking my words out. You check Pastor Mike's out. You listen to people on the radio, check them out. Acts 17, 11, do you know who commends the Berean church for doing this? It's Paul. Know who they're checking out? Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. So Paul's teaching them. They're like, hold on, let me check. Hold on. Okay, yeah, that's good. Okay, we're following you now. But, and he commends them for it. So even, we're, that's why the ultimate authority is it's not a, a figure. It's not me. It's not another pastor. It's the word of God. We stand on that. You know what else we could judge as believers? We're supposed to even judge when we're um, electing and uh, putting people into leadership positions. We're supposed to be judging the character and maturity of potential leaders. That's in 1 Timothy. That's the book of Titus. It talks about that as well. So without going into, you know, we could, we could talk uh, whole messages on each of those things. But the idea is this. When Jesus says don't judge or you're going to be judged, he's not referring to everything. It's not a blanket thing that we can just take out of our back pocket when we're confronted with something and say, hey, you can't do that. That's obviously not what Jesus is saying. So what is Jesus saying? Number two on your outline, what Jesus was saying. Number two, don't have a judgmental attitude. Don't have a judgmental attitude. I told you a little bit of the backstory already. When Jesus is, is sharing this in this great sermon, What he's doing is he's saying, listen, I'm giving you an illustration. Everybody that heard Jesus talking knew the culture. Know what the culture was? 
<coughs> when you saw a religious leader coming by, you probably want to duck and cover because they're gonna, they will call you out. The only ones that looked like they were doing it right, oh, were them. They were in, you were out. In fact, they would just add rules on all the time, rules that were never laid out in Scripture. So they're kind of the in crowd, you're the out crowd. Uh, when we were uh, in Uganda, some of the students were teaching this game. It's a game called Mao. Have you ever played this game called Mao? It's a card game. Any of you in here? Okay, good. You're, you're, you're much more sane people than we are. It's such an irritating game. You know how you play this game? Well, when you start playing the game, you sit down, you're like, okay, how do we play this game? Oh, we don't tell you the rules. What? No, part of the game is you got to figure out the rules. Okay. All right. So you get cards and you're like, wait. And okay, you start. I've never played though. You start. What do you, what do you mean start? Oh, you know, excessive verbosity. Boom, draw a card. What? What? Excessive verbosity. Draw another card. You can't even talk. See, the whole game is every time you do something wrong, draw a card. Uh, and, and so you're just, you're sitting here looking like, what, what, what is going on here? Um, failure to abide by the rules. That's the next one. Hey, you didn't do that right. Failure to abide by the rules. Draw a card. So you're just drawing card after card after card. Such an irritating game. And whoever wins the round, they get to make up their own rule that they don't tell anybody. And if you get it wrong, you draw a card. So it's really a frustrating game. So I call it the Pharisee game. Uh, and I cannot wait to teach the other pastors. This is going to be great on our next retreat. This, I'm going to have a great time. Um, so, you know, and that's, this is kind of the culture. So it was a culture of critique. The Pharisees would run around and they just, boom, call people out. They would look down on you. So the culture that was there, anytime there's a religious figure or person, you never felt like you totally were in. You always felt like you were out. And so the idea is that God probably looks at all of us like we're out. And Jesus is, this is what Jesus is laying out. He says, listen, this is not what it's about. Do not judge like that, or you'll be judged like that. He starts to call them out. In fact, the illustration that Jesus uses, I think, is really important. No, he uses the eye. Why is that important? Now, the eye is probably the most sensitive part of your body, right? Something happens to it, it hurts. This morning, I grabbed the shampoo to take my hair, and the, the cap was filled with soap or something, and, I go, and it goes right in my eye. It was so, you know how painful that is? I'm like rinsing it with a, the shower for about three minutes, just trying to get it cleared out. But our eye is sensitive. He's saying, you know, if you're going to have to approach or move towards something in somebody's life, if there's a speck in someone's life and you need to move towards that, this is a fragile thing. It's a very sensitive thing to do. And before you even ever think about approaching that, he says, first, you've got to make sure there's not a plank in your own eye. If you're going to try and help someone else, don't be blind. Don't be so blind to your own self and your own challenges, your own sin. You're going to run around and try and grab it out of everybody else's eye. I'm going to give you three words that will probably describe this passage. Three words are this, hypocrisy, integrity, and mercy. Hypocrisy, integrity, and mercy. What's this mean? Hypocrisy. The idea of the way that Jesus is using this in this verse is is the idea of hypocrisy would be when you're trying to remove a speck from someone else and ignoring your own. Trying to address someone else's sin when ignoring the same issue in your own life. That's hypocrisy. You know, we think of, what do we think of hypocrisy? Hypocrisy would be kind of like uh, having a Weight Watchers meeting at Cold Stones, right? We think, ah, that's hypocrisy. Um, 
What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy, it's, it's like, you know that famous phrase, parents use this, I don't know where they got it, but it, it's one, every parent kind of knows that, hey, don't do, wait, do as I say, not as I, it's, it's late for me, that's what I'm trying to say, I'm still catching up, yeah, do as I, not as I, good, you guys fill in the blanks, you do better than I do right now, um, but that's hypocrisy, that's a classic example of what Jesus is referring to. Don't do that. That's what he's saying. He says you can't just do that. Um, as, you, uh, as, you, as you think through this stuff, there's, uh, there's another one. It, it, if, if you're thinking about what hypocrisy could look like, you ever seen somebody do this? They're really upset. They're upset because somebody else is angry. And in anger, they lash back. It's like, you've got an anger problem. You ever seen somebody do that? And you're like, oh, really? You know, because I've noticed that out of the two of us yelling, you're the one yelling. I'm not yelling. You know, that would be a picture of hypocrisy. Now we laugh, but we've all grown up in, in homes. You've seen things happen in homes or churches or business or you name it. Ugly things spring up and it creeps out. That's hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus is referring to. Integrity is before you're going to move towards that in someone else's life, you look within. How do you do that? There's a phrase I put on your outline, and it says this. When you see the fault in someone else, ask yourself, is there something like that in me? Is there something like that in me? That's challenging. That's convicting. That's humbling. And that's integrity. That's what Jesus is referring to. You know, a lot of times the easiest things uh, that we can notice in other people are usually the very same things that we can struggle with. They're the easiest to identify. You ever notice that sometimes for a parent, the kid that can kind of get under their skin the most is what? The kid that's most like them. Because that's what we can see first. Integrity is saying, I'm going to check myself first. The third word, mercy. When you see the fault, or mercy, it's removing the speck from someone else's eye. Not staring at it. It's not making someone feel down about it. But it's the idea, if someone really has something in their eye, what's the most merciful thing we could do? Try and help with that, right? Wouldn't we want to help with that? Non-merciful would just be to point it out. Laugh at it. Make him feel stupid for it. Mercy is saying, I'm going to help you with that. Isn't that a powerful way of picturing what Jesus is saying? Hypocrisy, integrity, and mercy. In verse 6, if you look in there, Jesus says this. It's very interesting. At the very end of this whole teaching he does, he has this interesting verse. It says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. <coughs> what does this mean? Kind of an interesting verse that's thrown in there. A couple different ideas on what it could be. Um, it could be a reference to say, hey, we shouldn't correct people who wouldn't listen. Um, that, that interpretation is a little bit challenged because there's other places in Scripture. I gave you one. For example, 1 Corinthians 5. It doesn't seem like they didn't listen. Um, and it was still required for them to move towards it. So it's probably not that interpretation. Um, 
it probably could be something, maybe it's giving, giving advice or moving towards something to people who really want to receive it. That means when you're going to do this, the whole idea, this is a very sensitive area if you're going to be confronting an issue in someone's life. Probably shouldn't just be running up to everybody and you're the Holy Spirit police. You know what I'm saying? You've ever known somebody like that? Junior Holy Spirit, see your credentials, uh, hear, you know, call you out. The idea is that be very careful. Most likely what he's saying is, hey, we probably should be very careful. Is it your place? Do you have a relationship? You know, out of everybody who would know that, are you the one that probably should be doing this? You have first-hand knowledge of it. You're not going off a hunch. This is a very sensitive area. Be careful. And the people, and the idea, he, he talks about pigs and dogs. You know, they didn't value anything that was sacred. They would eat trash or vomit or anything else. So it's the idea of, you know, we want to probably give mostly to people who really desire it and are most hungry. But there may be times also that we have to call people out because it's an issue of integrity for the whole church. So, you know, it's balancing it. But I, I want to at least touch on that uh, because it's in there. Um, the whole idea of how, what does this look like in, in life? To be someone who's not, not, doesn't carry a judgmental attitude, but can still move towards something when it's appropriate and necessary. Know who's a master at it? Jesus. Uh, take your Bible, John chapter 8. Flip a few pages over. This is a great example of how he does it. You can learn a lot by this. The difference between just casting a straight judgment um, on what's going on or having a judgmental attitude towards it. Very interesting. Verse 1, John chapter 8 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Do you understand how humiliating that would be? Someone's caught. Instead of approaching it, dealing with that, ah, you drag them on stage. What's their motive? It's not pure. Something's going on. Jesus knew what was going on. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you, do, what do you say? Jesus tells us what they were up to. They were using this question as a trap in order, or uh, book of John. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, famous verse, we've all heard this. People quote this one all the time too. If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. This is where as you read on, Jesus is something that's very interesting. He, he stops talking, he kneels down. He begins to write in the sand. It doesn't say what he wrote. There's kind of a hint of what it could be. Because what did Jesus just say? If you're without sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. And then he starts writing something. Know what? There's a really good chance he was writing their sin. Good chance he could have bent down. He could have been writing the names of women each of those men had been with. It says the oldest men walked away first. 
he probably started with them. Imagine the scene, this woman, broken, head down, arrogant, pious, prideful people just staring, waiting to put Jesus in a trap, lay this woman out, and all of a sudden all you hear is thunk, thunk, stones dropping, and shuffling away one by one as their sins probably being uncovered. Jesus does amazing things in that scripture. He's probably proving that he is God. He knows their secrets. What else is he doing? He's living out this whole idea of, well, don't judge. You don't want to be judged. He's, he's moving towards this graciously. He's, he's, in a sense, one way protecting her. But he doesn't let her off the hook. He does move towards her sin. You notice how he, he ends us up. So Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. In verse 11, she said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And what's he tell her to do? Go now and leave your life of sin. He calls her out. Don't continue in this. You were wrong. But you're now forgiven. Now, isn't that gracious? Isn't that a different picture? It's a different picture than the people on the side of a street corner with a megaphone screaming at people about their sin. It's a different picture than what we can often do with people that we are close to and that we love when we, when we shout out and cast them and put them in a box, label them. It's really challenging. Um, have you ever had someone be gracious to you when you've been caught? Call you out. I remember fourth grade, first time. Uh, I remember this really clearly. I was caught cheating. I was, when me and my friend were copying each other's homework or something, all I remember is that we got called out, out of the office. We had to go to the office and talk to our teacher there. It was like scared to death. And uh, she had both of our papers. I mean, we just copied verbatim. It's like, no big secret here. Uh, uh, I'm like, and she's there. And, and I, I don't even remember everything that was said except, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. And uh, I don't think they ever tell you guys. My mom's sitting here. No, she didn't. Sorry, mom. I, fourth grade, it, it happened. It's true. Um, but I remember uh, this, the teacher just said, hey, listen. And I just remember he said, listen, this is out of your character. But I want you to do this again. That's all it took. That was gracious, yet firm. There's something good in that. I wasn't labeled as the cheater now. There was room for change. Jesus taught this for a couple important reasons. You know why this is so important? Um, because judging ultimately, casting complete ultimate judgment, it's really God's job. We don't get to do that. Jesus had a great phrase in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. He says, For I, the Son of mankind, shall come with my angels in the glory of my Father and judge each person according to his deeds. The same Jesus that is protecting these women and being gracious here, there is a day of judgment that comes, genuinely. And Jesus leads the charge. But what are we in right now? This is called the age of grace. You ever heard that phrase? That right now, since the time Christ died and rose, until he returns again, we live in a period of grace. That's the heart of this whole passage. That when we interact with people, we extend grace. We allow room for grace. 
we allow room for people to change. We allow room so we don't label people and categorize them. It's interesting. This can be kind of confusing. Jesus had something to say about this too. It's John chapter 12, and if you look at this, people at first might think, oh, this is a contradiction. John 12, 47, he says, if anyone hears me and doesn't obey me, this is Jesus talking, I'm not his judge. That's weird. Didn't he just say he's going to be a judge in Matthew? For I have come to save the world and not to judge it. What's Jesus saying? I'm here to save the world, not to judge it. Jesus said this in other ways. I came out to seek and save that which is lost. Who needs a doctor? Those who are sick. He'd said this in a lot of interesting ways. But the very next verse, listen to what Jesus says. But all who reject me and my message will be judged. And the day of judgment by the truth that I have spoken. So what's Jesus saying? Yes, there is a time for judgment, and it's not now. We're in a period of grace. But there's an ultimate day coming when the period of grace is over. And you will stand on who you are, what you've done, or what you believe at that point. If you've never given your life to Christ, you are on your own. You will be judged on the very merits of your life. Two ways to get to heaven. You know that? One way, you accept Christ, you acknowledge your sin. The other way is live a perfect life. And who's done that? Nobody. So there's really only one way. It's a trick question. And Jesus says, listen, I'm the ultimate, Jesus says, I'm the ultimate judge, and I will judge in the right time. That means for all of us, don't judge. We don't cast ultimate judgment for people. We don't label people. We don't put them in a box. We don't leave no room for change um, for them. That means if you have a boss that you work with, this boss is, is the cruelest person around, and you look at him, you think, that person will never come to know Christ. Don't judge that. You've got to leave room for grace. It's telling this story. My dad came up to me last night. He goes, You're t- that's my boss. He worked with, this, with a man for many years. It was his boss. Mocked my father for reading the Bible. Would put on his door, ordained minister. Kind of in a mockery. Um, loved my dad, but it was always this constant mocking. Um, do things to get under his skin all the time to test him. Years and years later, they ran into each other in a store, and this man, broken, just sobbed on my dad's shoulder. He said, I, I, please forgive me. I've come to know Christ. We've got to leave room for change, right? We have to leave room for people to change. We don't cast ultimate judgment. That means if there's someone who's hurt you deeply, know how you could cast ultimate judgment? You say something like, I will never forgive you. Wow, well, now you're playing God. But part of us within us, we know we, in a sense, we might, might want to do it out of protection, out of the pain that we feel. That's not our place. Why Romans 12 says, listen, hey, you leave room for the wrath of God. He'll take care of it. Or even Jonah. Jonah was like this. Jonah would get so frustrated because he, he was like, I don't want to even share with these people. He wanted the judgment of God to fall on those people. He was so mad. You ever felt like that? You've been so frustrated, and people who've hurt you or done something that you think is so wrong, 
and you want them to feel something wrong happen to them. You want God to get them. And you just hope, ooh, let them get them a little bit before they get saved. Just a little bit in your mind. I, I remember I was in the L.A. riots. <coughs> I wasn't doing the L.A. riots. I was working as a cop in the L.A. riots. And I remember they put us all in the street corner. I remember uh, we, uh, we, we only had three radios between us. We had to maintain line of sight. Couldn't break the line because just for officer safety reasons, you don't want to be running around and being by yourself or just a couple of you in the middle of a riot. So we had to really maintain the integrity of the line. And I remember I was at the end of the line. And at the end of the line, I stand there on this corner, so we had to secure this one block because they're looting and breaking windows, setting things on fire. It's just, a, it's chaos everywhere. But we're going to at least, we're holding this spot. You know, we're making a stand. We're securing this block. <clears throat> I'm standing in the corner. Well, we didn't have enough cops to go down the side of the block. So I just kind of keep glancing over there. And it was like little kids. You see people run up and they'd smash a window. And I'd look and I'd pretend like I'm running down there and they'd run away and... Uh, it's, it's, it's really like babysitting. It, it, was, it was unbelievable. And I remember this guy, he had a car. He pulls this car up, and he has this thing, and he starts taking these big screen TVs out of this, this business here, and he starts throwing them in his car. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, and we're standing here watching him. So me and another cop, we pretend like we're going, but we can't really go. Uh, and he'd run away, and he'd hide behind a wall, and then he'd come back, and what's going on. And so he runs back in. He's grabbing another one. And this is the moment that I really enjoyed. There, there was a guy, another guy that's watching this whole thing happen. And he runs, he gets in this guy's car and he steals the guy's car. <laughs> I was just kind of, you know, there's something inside that was like, that is sweet justice right there. You know, it couldn't happen to a better person. You know, uh, it was just such chaos at the moment. It's just, but have you ever felt that? Like, oh, I went, can they just be God just a little bit? You ever felt like that with someone in your life? This is what Jesus is calling us out on. He says, now just stop it. He says, this is not our place to do that. Even though it would feel good for us, step back. Don't judge. That's my job. Leave room for grace. Don't cast ultimate judgment on people, especially people you're closest to. Because this is the very thing that rips a family apart. It can devastate your kids. You know, I work with a lot of students and you know, they, those, are, those are life-changing moments for our students when they hear those things. It could be from a teacher. It could be from a, you know, any authority figure or a parent. You cast this judgment and you label them. Be careful. Those words are powerful. It's almost like, you know, you ever heard of the story, you take a, a shark and you put it in a little fish tank. What is it? It can't even grow. When we cast judgment with our words, we put people in a box, we label that. It's almost like stunting their growth. So Jesus says, don't judge. It's like, break that fish tank. Give room for people to grow up in the Lord. Isn't this a great teaching from him? It's really good. In your, uh, in your outline, you're going to see a phrase in there. It says this, being biblically non-judgmental doesn't mean that we pretend we don't see another person's sin. It means we don't see them outside the circle of God's grace. Isn't that good? doesn't mean we don't see that there's an, a, an issue in someone's life, but what it does mean is we don't cast them outside the potential for God to move in their life. We don't take them outside of the, the realm of the possibility of us extending our love to them. It's powerful. Jesus is dealing with our heart. And the scriptures that deal with how we should approach and move towards things, like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that deals with our actions. We do have to move towards those things, 
responsible to do that, but Jesus is dealing with our heart in this verse. So it's not contradictory. They're complementary. Another phrase. What's the difference between judging appropriately and being judgmental? This is on your outline. That's your heart. That's your heart. So be very careful. See that section on your outline that says the path to better relationships? How do we improve on this? Number one, look in the mirror often. What's that mean? Look in the mirror often. Well, how do you look in the mirror? You know how you look in the mirror? When someone irritates you, gets under your skin, it's that question. Is there something like that in me? The things that bother you, set you off, you want to you grow in humility? That's humbling. Because you realize how many times that's going to happen in a day? Yeah, is there something like that in me? And when the time is going to come for you to approach something in somebody else's life, and that becomes part of your habit of asking that question, uh, you'll definitely be in a much healthier spot, in a spot where you can say, I'm definitely here with integrity. I know I probably struggled too. You're dealing with that yourself. Or whatever, you've dealt with it. doesn't mean we don't move towards things, but it does mean, hey, listen, I'm going to look in the mirror often. I had to do it this morning at Starbucks. 20 minutes to get a caramel macchiato. Really? You know, it's milk. You know, watching, they got it wrong three times. It's like, uh, now what am I seeing? I have a problem with being patient. Don't I? She has a problem with making a drink, but I have a problem (laughs) with being impatient. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But you see how humbling that is? It's like every time you turn around, it's like, oh, yeah, I can see that. Ah, I I could see that. It pops up. Number two, be honest about the faults that you see. Just be honest about that. Two things we can do. We could do a really shallow examination like, oh, nope, I think I'm good. Or the other one, you know, people, especially if you've been beat up over the years and you you just have such low self-esteem and you have tapes that keep playing through your mind, you're a loser, you're a failure, you'll never measure up. When I say, hey, look in the mirror often, you stare in the mirror. And you need to remember, number three, remember that you're forgiven. You know, Jesus was always so gracious, wasn't he? Remember the woman at the well? She was in sin. She's been with all these different men. And Jesus offers her living water. And he says, listen, oh, and I know the man you're with right now is not your husband. He starts calling her out, giving her some specifics about where she's at. But he gives her freedom to change. He extends grace. And what happens? Man, she runs off and she tells everybody. She starts bringing people to Christ. That's why, you know, if you have time, look at 1 Peter 1, 18 to 21. It's a great scripture. One of those places where you're just reminded, we have been saved by the precious blood of Christ. He could have recreated this world. He could have created a whole new race of people. But for whatever reason, he chose not to start over. He was willing to come and die in our place because that's how much he does care. So if you have a trouble with being so, it's like you, you give an autopsy on yourself. You just always beat yourself up. You need to start playing some new tapes in your mind and you remember how God sees you. Focus on that. Number four, only then remove specks gently. If you need to move towards something in somebody else's life, that's when you'd be in a place to do that. 
love how Jesus does that. He always expresses love for people. Um, he'll share the concern. He'll give specifics as needed. But he does move towards it. There's, you know, if, the, if you'd put a number five, I didn't put it on there, but if you would, you know what I'd say? Leave room for the grace of God. <coughs> Leave room for the grace of God. It's interesting. We all know people in our life that would say, ah, they'll never change. It's not going to happen. It was great. Last night I was with somebody I went to the academy with. Um, he was the person in the academy I would have said he'll never change. Uh, about a year ago, I had a chance to lead him to the Lord. We're going to work together later today. But isn't it, isn't it, those are always humbling things. Like, hey, listen, we all need to be reminded. We don't cast judgment like that. We've got to be people who give room for grace. Is that a good word today? I think as we leave today, it's just remembering how powerful uh, the teachings of Jesus are, how powerful it is to see a life change like that. Um, when someone who you think, man, they'll never change, and they have a massive change, and the Lord breaks through, that's a powerful thing. It takes notice. Communities pay attention. It's interesting, that church I told you about at the very beginning, that I had a chance to speak at where they had over 60 witch doctors and shrines that were set up. They're down to 11 shrines in that place. Uh, that community understands what's going on. There's a point of light that is raising up. There's a great scripture in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 11. It says, For as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. That's the power of a changed life. And so let's be people who extend enough grace. Let's be a church that gives room for grace for other people in this room, for the people in our families, and the people that are far, far from the Lord. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Thank you.